And now back to our show today here on Midday. And by the way, coming up tomorrow, we're going to talk with the nutrition diva, Monica Reinagel. We'll take your calls about nutrition and talk about some new research concerning alcohol and sweeteners. Plus, Jay Wynn Russick will review Into the Woods at the Kennedy Center. So that's all on the way tomorrow. And now, a conversation about the crisis of opioid addiction. Last fall, Josh Symes suffered an overdose, a fatal overdose, on his 31st birthday. Josh's loved ones have thrown their support behind a bill in Annapolis concerning how hospitals can play a new role in addressing our state's opioid epidemic. Josh's mother, Carol Symes, and Melanie Yates, Josh's partner, join me here in Studio A. It's great to meet both of you. Thank you for coming in. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. It's nice to meet you. And I am very, very sorry for your loss, uh, and I appreciate your uh, willingness to come and talk about it. Um, Carol, tell us a little bit about your son, Josh. Well, Josh was a bright light, and uh, everyone who met him felt like he was a best friend immediately. I don't think he ever met an enemy. And um, he was talented and warm and loving and sensitive and just a joy to be around. He also was an addict, and um, that was a very difficult time in his life and our lives, and and it just shows that you can have both of these things living together in one person, and no one is immune to it. Yeah, and Melanie, um, as his partner, you were engaged to be married, as I understand. Is that right? Uh, no, we actually weren't. So we met about a year ago, um, and so we were fairly new, but we fell in love quite quickly. Um, Josh introduced me to his family within six weeks of us meeting, mm. um, and we were just waiting until I finished my master's in May to get engaged. Yeah, so you're currently in graduate school for social work, right? I am. I yeah, am. and the bill that you're... Uh, stepping up behind in Annapolis would do what? So what we're looking to do is add fentanyl to the current urine drug screening. So um, in Maryland at the moment, we have what is called the Federal Five. So it's the standard five drugs that are tested for in an emergency room, and that would include marijuana, cocaine, um, amphetamines, um, PCP, and then um opiates, which does not include fentanyl. And so what we're looking to do is just add fentanyl to that, knowing that the prevalence in Maryland um, and across the country, that's something that we think is incredibly important. And Carol, uh, what would this do then if, if hospitals add fentanyl to the list of things they're going to test for when somebody presents in the emergency room? What would that accomplish? Well, I think it accomplishes things on sort of two rungs. One is individually, if somebody knows they've ingested fentanyl, sometimes they don't know they are snorting cocaine or using another drug and they suffer an overdose to go to the hospital. If they know they've taken fentanyl, then they can be either um, sent to the right treatment program or if it was unwitting, they can go back and you know, tell their friends or other people that might be using that drug that that they um, should not be doing that, and it's dangerous. I think the other important part, and maybe a little more far-reaching, is the the data collection will inform public health uh, initiatives, and certainly that data helps us to know where outbreaks are happening of fentanyl overdoses, and um, alert the communities to those and to any interventions and treatment centers that might be um, helpful in combating that. In addition, we know that data 
really um, informs investment. So whether it's um, uh, a government investment in, in a program or somebody writing a grant to expand um, uh, an intervention or drug development, all of those things are uh, really garnered through the, um, the data-driven um, uh, system that we have. And Melanie, um, it, it seems to me that one could almost make an assumption that any street drug uh, has some modicum of fentanyl in it, sometimes more than than others. I mean, it, it, was that the case in, in Josh's case? Was Did he know he was taking fentanyl uh, on the night that he had a fatal overdose? So you're absolutely correct. Virtually every street drug has fentanyl in it now. Um, we've heard from doctors in the area that marijuana has it, fake press pills that look identical to Xanax or Adderall. Um, in Josh's case, he knew he was taking fentanyl. Um, he was also using cocaine at the same time. Um, we have sort of a theory that it was also probably had fentanyl in it, and that's what put him over the edge. Um, but we definitely know we found the pills in his apartment that he was also taking fentanyl. Mm -hmm. And Carol, um, you mentioned that you knew, you know, your son was addicted. Um, did did he ever talk about, you know, the dangers of fentanyl? Was he was he concerned? Was he, you know, aware um, of of uh, the situation with fentanyl and all of the, you know the hundreds of thousands of people that are that are dying from it? He was aware. He was very aware. Um, he had had. Um, drug addiction issues for many years, um, eight to 10 years. And we had um, successfully entered him into a treatment program. And he was quite aware that this could kill him. And it just shows how strong substance use disorder is and the voice in that head that drives you back to that drug, even when you know it could kill you. Yeah, Melanie, I mean, even being fully aware of what the dangers were, um, it's such a tough thing to kick an addiction, isn't it? I mean, you, you, he was your dear friend and, and the love of your life, and I'm sure you had conversations with him about it, and you've been, you know, so open, both you and, and Josh's mom, mm -hmm. talking about it, which I really appreciate. It must be very hard. Um, what were those conversations like? Um, yeah, so Josh actually told me about his issues with addiction on our second date, um, him knowing that I went into social work school to do addictions work. Um, so I think he felt a little bit more comfortable telling me that very early on in our uh, relationship. And he was just incredibly open about it at all times um, with me and, and with others about how much of a struggle it really can be and how much it can take over your life. And it really can quickly devolve into a serious addiction. And Carol, um, you know, we, we've talked on the, on this uh, program many times uh, with experts in this field uh, about how this is um, not in the least some matter of, uh, you know, a, a bad case of uh, restraint or, you know, free will or any of that. I mean, it, this, is, this has a lot less to do with a person's intent and a lot more to do with um, neurological changes that are caused by uh, these drugs. That's absolutely true. And um, once those pathways in the brain get ingrained, it, it is very hard work to fill them in and not be susceptible to um, that voice in your head that says, you know, you're doing pretty well, but if you just had a little of me, we could be fine. And I, I'm very grateful that the last 
nine months of Josh's life were some of the happiest he's had. And it just shows you with all of that, that voice in his head, that addiction, that drive to the drug, um, really was tantamount. Yeah, it could change in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Carol Symes is Josh Symes' mom. Melanie Yates is Josh Symes' partner. Josh unfortunately died of a fatal overdose last October, and we're talking about a bill in front of the General Assembly now that would require hospitals to test for fentanyl. So, Melanie, um, just to be clear, this would, uh, if this bill had been passed and in, in effect last October, would this have changed the, the, the case management of Josh when he was admitted to the emergency room at all? So in Josh's case, no. Um, he had been down and unconscious for too long for his brain to have recovered. However, our bill is based on a California bill called Tyler's Law. Uh, a woman named Julie Shamish lost her 19-year-old son in 2018 to a fentanyl overdose. The day before he passed, he went to the hospital, said he had a stomach ache. And um, the mom asked the doctor three times if she had tested for, or if he had tested for fentanyl. And um, he had said it would come up in a standard urine drug screen. He died from a fentanyl overdose the next day. And she would have changed what she had did the day before if she had known. And, uh, Carol, I know you're not a physician here, so let me make sure I'm not asking you a question that you're, you know, not uh, able to answer. But um, is fentanyl testing something that can be done on the spot? Uh, I talked to at least one emergency physician who said some of the fentanyl testing is a, is a mail-away thing. It can't be done, you know, uh, in, in the moment. Um, what, what do you know about how fentanyl testing is conducted? It is my understanding that it's done through a, a, um, a rapid urine test, which is the same way that they would perform the other tox screen. So it would sort of ju- it would just be added to that panel. Right now, it is my understanding that in many hospitals they have to order that fentanyl test separately, and it just doesn't get done. Um, to be clear, the bill does not require doctors to perform that test. It just says when you do perform the test, fentanyl should be on that screen. We know that um, heroin overdoses have gone way down as fentanyl overdoses have gone way up. We're still testing for heroin and other opiates, but fentanyl does not show up on that test. And so if we're going to get a true picture of overdoses, we really need to know where fentanyl is involved. Cocaine is the number two overdose drug, and it may be that we find out that that's due to fentanyl if we're testing for fentanyl. Yeah, and Melanie Yates, as I understand it, here in the U.S., uh, we are 4.5% of the world's population, but we consume more than 80% of the world's opioids. So opioids have a particular uh, clutch uh, on Americans. Um, and Josh, in that way, was by no means, you know, unusual. Um, the the uh, the scope of this problem uh, is is amazing. I guess it's one in uh, three people know somebody who is addicted to opioids. So uh, your case, also not at all unusual. It's absolutely not unusual. And I think a lot of people don't believe it's going to be their friend or their neighbor or a family member. They think it's somewhere else in a land far away that this is happening to. But it's on your street. It's in your house. It's everywhere. And Carol, um, when you had conversations with Josh 
about this. Um, was he, um, I mean, you talk about him, he just sounds like such a great guy, you know, a cheerful, fun guy. He was an actor, right? Mm-hmm. He was involved mm-hmm. in, in theater and film and stuff. Um, with that cheery personality, was he optimistic that he was going to be able to, to kick it? Or was he, I mean, what was his status? I think it depended when you asked him, but by and large, I don't really think he was optimistic about it. Um, I remember one time when um, a young man that he knew passed away from an overdose, and he said to me, I feel so bad for his family. And I looked at him and I said, Josh Symes, don't make me one of those moms. And he looked at me and said, I'm trying really hard, Mom. I wish I could promise you. Were there treatment pro? You mentioned that you had him in a treatment program. Were those readily available to you? Was were there options out there for you and your family? There are options. It's not that easy. It's expensive. You have to find something where insurance can be accepted, and there are all different types of treatment programs. Obviously, inpatient and then intensive outpatient programs. It's not easy, and one of the most frustrating things for us was one of the most effective drugs that Josh experienced was called Vivitrol. It's a once-a-month shot. It can be administered that way, and it was the most effective in, um, in combating his disease. However, it turned out it wasn't that easy to get a hold of. Only certain doctors prescribed it, only certain doctors administered it, and it gave him a window and as he used to say, when people refuse to use Vivitrol, it's because they're reserving their right to use. And um, so when he wasn't on that, he was much more vulnerable. My guests are Carol Symes and Melanie Yates. We will have more about what hospitals can do while testing patients for drug overdoses, which is the thrust of a bill that the legislature is considering in this session of the General Assembly. If you have experience with opioid addiction, if you know somebody who is battling opioid and uh, substance abuse disorder, give us a call and let us know. The number here at Midday is different than the number we use to make a pledge to our spring membership campaign, 410 6628780 that's the number at midday to be involved in our conversation about opioids and what we can do about the bill that's in front of the general assembly for testing our email address here at midday midday at wipr.org and you can tweet us at midday wipr this is your public radio member supported 881 wipr then wipr hd1 baltimore wipf frederick wipo ocean city I'm Al Waller. I'm Katherine Collinson. And I'm Mihaela Vince. In upcoming episodes of Clear Path, Your Roadmap for Life, we'll discuss ways to catch up on retirement savings and the importance of self-care. Tune in to WYPR's website and mobile app, all major podcast platforms, and transamericainstitute.org. And here on Midday, if you've just joined us, my guests are Carol Symes and Melanie Yates. Carol is the mother of Josh Symes, and Melanie was his good friend and partner. Josh died of a fentanyl-related overdose on his 31st birthday last fall. We're talking about a bill that's in front of the legislature in Annapolis that would require hospitals to test for fentanyl when patients present themselves uh, with the uh, possibility of an opioid uh, overdose or an opioid 
consumption. So uh, this is a bill that's currently in front of the legislature. Uh, and uh, as I mentioned in our first uh, segment with Delegate Klippinger, we got about five weeks left in the session, just a couple weeks left before what's called crossover day, meaning the bills that have uh, been introduced in both the House and the Senate uh, have to get together. Uh, yesterday, I talked to the governor, Wes Moore, and uh, he was confident that a number of the bills that he's uh, behind will make it through. Bill Ferguson, the Senate president, did say uh, earlier this week that there are some thousand bills out there that are trying to get through in the next five weeks. He said that's probably not going to happen. That's just too many for the legislature to actually, uh, you know, matriculate. Um, Carol Symes, do you have a sense from the folks in uh, the legislature who are behind this legislation uh, that they're confident that uh, this is something that will get support and, and technically they'll be able to get it over the finish line? It's gotten a lot of support, a whole lot of support, and we were very pleased when the governor came out in support of the bill right before we testified. So that was really helpful, and uh, it's got a lot of bipartisan support, which is is also um, really positive. However, as you say, there are a lot of bills on the floor, and um, we need to get this one to the floor, and we're working very hard to do that. And I would suggest that any of your listeners who um, can throw their support behind this contact their representatives so that we th- the, that they know their constituents care about it as well. And Melanie, uh, you wrote a, uh, an essay in Maryland Matters uh, a little while ago about this and about the bill. Um, And there are some really shocking numbers that you quoted uh, in this. 100,000 people uh, are losing their lives annually to fentanyl, and particularly in the age group where Josh was right in the middle of, between the ages of 18 and 45. Uh, It's the leading cause of death for people in that category. Mm -hmm. So across the nation, I mean, opioids are taking over everywhere, right? Um, And even if we're looking at the Maryland statistics, last year, 81% of overdoses were related to fentanyl. More than 2,000 people died just last year from fentanyl. So we know that this is not just a national crisis. This is a crisis in Maryland. We're the number six uh, overdose deaths state. (laughs) So we're, we're number six on the list. We're very high on the list. And so anything that we can do to help address that I think we need to do. This bill, frankly, is a bit of a drop in the bucket, but if we can create a larger ripple effect so that we can get the data to get the programs that we need in place, I think we should do it. Now, you're currently a graduate student, as we mentioned, in this field, in social work. Yeah. Um, what do you know about the effect in California? You said that this bill is you know, sort of premised on uh, the example in California. What do you know uh, so far? How long has that bill been uh, law in California, and, and what do you know about the data they've been able to collect? So it actually just got passed last year. Um, so we're still to be determined on the data. In terms of implementation, they only received two phone calls from all the hospitals in California on how to actually implement this. And that was, how do I select fentanyl into the larger lab set? That was it. So when we're looking at how this can actually be implemented in Maryland, it's looking very good. And uh, Carol, when you, when you uh, think back to what you and your family did, uh, a lot of the families that I talk to who are in your very uh, tragic position you know, second-guess themselves like crazy. Oh, boy, if I had done this or if I had done that. 
Um, how, how have you and your family coped with, with those feelings in this case? Well, as a parent, um, certainly just the idea that you couldn't solve it, you couldn't keep them safe, you couldn't love them out of it, um, is, a, is a really difficult place to be. That said, I think we had an open conversation with Josh always about this. We agreed at one part that we weren't going to um, lie about it to each other. If we saw something, we were going to say something. It wasn't going to be secretive. And so I feel like we did, short of living with him every minute of every day, we did all that we could have done um, as his parents. And certainly, he admitted that. He was well aware of it and, you know, thanked us, as sometimes not so much. But he, he knew that we loved him, that we would do anything that we could to help him through this. Yeah, and of course, there are so many families, I'm sure many, many are listening as we speak, you know, who are going through that. And Melanie, you you, you guys dated for like about a year, um, and you were, it seems, if I'm doing the math right, uh, with COVID, you, were, you started dating sort of as COVID was beginning to ease a little bit. What was the, the impact, um, as you observed, of the pandemic to... Uh, Josh's struggle with addiction? Um, so I think the pandemic affected everybody with addiction issues. In 2021, we saw the most overdose deaths in Maryland that we've ever seen. We saw over 2,800 deaths. Um, it impacted everybody. Isolation, not being able to go to your programs, not being able to meet with your therapist or your counselors impacted everybody. I think, you know, him being able to actually go out and see his friends did help. Um, it did give him, you know, some sense of relief and fun, at least for the last bit of his life. Um, but we also have to remember that drug addiction is not just a coping skill for folks when they're struggling. It sometimes is used as a reward system as well, right? So when we're doing amazingly, we can think just a little bit. And that little needle in your brain can come back just as easily as you having a glass of wine at the end of the day. And I know you are also an advocate for um, the use of uh, fentanyl test strips to test street drugs, right? Mm -hmm. So that folks are aware that this particular batch of marijuana or cocaine or heroin, you know, includes fentanyl. How that that of course would uh, perhaps one would would think would you know uh, potentially save an awful lot of people uh, some big big trouble. I think absolutely. We're unfortunately at a point where just saying no, don't do drugs is not working. We know that hasn't worked in the past. So we're saying now, how can we keep people alive? This is frankly a very cheap measure, fentanyl testing strips, um, to be able to keep people alive. And if we're able to get you know, them into services, then that's even better. You have to be alive to be able to get treatment. How do the, tr the strips work? Um, so. I would actually have to have the full testing kit. You would take an actual little strip, um, dip it into whatever you're going to use, and then you, I'm frankly not sure of what it's called, the reagent, I guess, um, would test and you would put it on top of it and it would turn a color if there was fentanyl in it. And I do want to be very clear, though, um, if you're using it with something like cocaine, that doesn't mean the entire bag is 
going to be safe, right? It could just be on the other side. So if you are using drugs, and we have to be very frank that people are, um, use it with other people. Know the signs of what overdose looks like. Get Narcan. Baltimore City um, has free Narcan distribution. Everybody, I think, should have it. I have it in my car um, because you never know at what point something might happen. Yeah, Dr. Lena Wen, who appears on this program all the time, wrote a prescription for everybody in the city. Uh, so all of us have access to Narcan, so we could have it on our person or, as you say, in your car, in our homes. So if we encounter somebody who's having a, a, an overdose, uh, that person's life could be saved at that moment. And then you move on to the next step, which is to get treatment. Um, and Carol Symes, in, in terms of, of you and your family and your own uh, health, your own well-being, um, talk about the, um, the services and the, and the opportunities that are available to you uh, as you mourn Josh's passing and as you cope with, you know, what you cope, you're coping with every parent's nightmare. Yes, and it is. It's difficult. It's it's interesting coming out of this, you know, this horrible time in our life, and and going through the grieving process. Um, it's been um, a challenge to sort of know when and where to seek therapy or um, uh, grief groups. There are some amazing um, groups here in the Baltimore area that have. Um, uh, parents that come together and share their grief experiences. Um, there's an incredible organization called uh, Love in the Trenches that focuses specifically on um, uh, grief counseling with um, people who have uh, lost their loved ones to and their children to um, overdoses. So it's very specifically targeted to that. And they are just an incredible organization. They're new, but they're growing rapidly. And their counseling sessions are, 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 um, are filling up more quickly than they can train the counselors to lead them. So that yeah. gives you an indication of how prevalent yeah. this is. Another indication of the scope of this mm -hmm. uh, epidemic. Well, Carol Symes, again, we're so sorry for your loss, but Thank so you. grateful to you for being so open about uh, your experience and uh, you know trying to help uh, people moving forward. I appreciate it. Well, thank you so much. And Melanie Yates, uh, best of luck with you as you finish your degree. And again, very sorry for your loss as well. Thank you for coming in. Thank you so much. That's it for this edition of Midday. Coming up, it's another installment of Smart Nutrition with the nutrition diva Monica Reinagle. We'll also have a review from theater critic Jay Wynn Russick. We're talking about tomorrow now. Uh, she's going to review Into the Woods, a big Stephen Sondheim show at the Kennedy Center. This is your public radio. We are member-supported 881 WYPR, Baltimore's NPR news station.